0: You have your Bibles this morning. Yes, you go where, where we're going. Proverbs chapter twenty-two. We'll be here for the next couple of weeks, and uh, today is going to be uh, our third message on uh, what we started a couple of weeks ago, and that is training up your children based on Proverbs chapter twenty-two, verse six. We waited till we got to this particular chapter with this verse, which is the single, probably greatest opening up information verse in the Bible on. On training up your children. And we've looked at uh, two weeks now, and this will be the third week. Actually, this uh, this lesson here today will be split into two. Uh, we'll do part of it this week, and then we'll do the other half uh, next week. I really want you to get the full uh, understanding of, of everything. And each week, as I told you, each week uh, we will build on the following week. The first week we had... Uh, uh, a defining and a context for child training. And then last week, we, we talked about the baseline. We, we built on that. And uh, what I want to do, very simply, is, is to try to help you, obviously, by laying a very concise, very easy-to-follow and understandable plan for, for you and, and your kids and, obviously, your family. Last week, we explored the idea of building a biblical baseline of biblical truth uh, in your child's life and how vitally important that is. Training them up uh, with the understanding um, of their true spiritual condition. You understanding it and then helping them basically understand it. You know, Romans chapter 5, the book of Romans is an incredible book, and it's a book that, uh, in time, if you're ever going to get the Bible down uh, very well, you're going to have to really understand the book of Romans. Probably took me six or seven times to go through the book before I really. Got a handle on it, and every time I go through it, again I realize how much I don't know about it. But it's a great book. Book of Romans is the book where all of the doctrine, all of the things that we believe as New Testament Christians, are laid out clearly for you. Part of the problem with Romans is the style by which Paul writes it. He writes it like he's a Philadelphian lawyer uh, laying out his case, which he is doing. He's laying out the case for New Testament Christianity. So it's an incredible book, and chapter by chapter, it deals with all the issues that we as a church need to understand. I don't have time to get into it this morning, but uh, the placement of the book in the New Testament is vital of understanding um, why it is where it is. I mean, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John action and Romans. There's a reason for that, and it's, a, it's an incredible book. In Romans chapter 5 and Romans chapter 7, it tells us, dealing with our children, about what we all know as the age of accountability. Even though the age of accountability, the term is not found in the Bible, uh, we know that uh, there comes a time in our children's lives as they grow up that uh, where sin, the Bible says in Romans 5.13, that sin is not imputed unto them. But then there comes a point of time in their life when They become fall under that, and now they are sinners, and that's when they need uh, salvation. But the point I want to make is this. Even though up to the age of accountability, they're in innocence, and there's no sin imputed to them, many parents don't understand, but they still have an old sin nature. They just don't understand it. But they still have an old sin nature that they're not yet aware of. And uh, they don't grasp it. They don't understand it. They don't recognize the right from wrong in the sense of the biblical sense, Is, is, is lays it out. Uh, uh, their, and their old nature will always prevail as a child, always will, unless it's checked, if it's kept to itself. The Bible says in Romans chapter 7, verse 18, that in our flesh dwelleth no good thing. And in your flesh and my flesh today, you know as well as I do, that is the source of all our issues with God and all of our problems. Well, you know the difference. You come on Sunday morning and you hear me preach, and if you're saved and you're not right with God, the Holy Spirit of God will convict you. That won't happen with a child. A child is oblivious to it. That's why they can do some of the things they do that we look at and don't understand, but to them they're oblivious to it because sin has not yet been imputed unto them. I remember last week I showed you and answered for you a very perplexing question that I get all the time, and I'm sure you do too, if you work around many people. And, uh, you know, uh, we live in a world today that wants to get away from any personal responsibility of anything. We want to take accountability from people. Uh, When people come to churches, if a guy preaches hard messages or messages that will keep somebody accountable or make them look at their life and keep them responsible, they don't want to hear that today. We live in a world where the world itself has taken away any accountability. Sin today, we talked about this last week, sin today in the world standard, and unfortunately in many of Christian circles, sin today, what we knew 50 years ago as a blatant sin, is now a disease, it's now a sickness. And you're not responsible if you get the flu. You're not responsible if you get uh, a bad cold. So you're not responsible when sin becomes a sickness. But if sin is a sin, then you are responsible for it, and that's what we want to get rid of today. And I told you how that at a very early age, a child having experiences, a child having thoughts, he's introduced the things that are not, maybe not too good and maybe very bad in some scenarios, and, and they'll, 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 they'll begin to fall under all kinds of influences as a very young child, and they have no defense for it. Just like they don't understand right from wrong because they're under the age of accountability, when these negative bad influences or the things that they hear or the things that are said or things that are done, when those, things, when those things come into their young lives, they don't know how to deal with it. They don't know that it's wrong. They don't understand that, that it's something that is going to hurt them. And when it's left unchecked by their parents, when there's, as I said last week, when there's no first line of defense, When there's no baseline of truth being infused into that young child's life, those influences in time, and each child is different, I get it. you got to understand that, but I am telling you this. Those influences in time will develop into patterns of a lifestyle. And somebody will grow up 20 years old and be into some sin, and they'll say, well, I was this way all my life. I was born this way. No, no, you weren't. You were born in innocence, but you had an old sin nature. Things came into your world that were left unchecked by your parents, who should be the guardian of your soul. And now these things have developed to where they're at in your life, and the damage, you know, will already be done. And it'll come out later when you see it, and then you're, you're, it's finished, you're done. It's hard to get back from that. Most parents don't even think about that. Most parents... Uh, To them, parenting starts when the first problem arises. Everything goes good, and then when you have a bang, you have a problem, that's when you start parenting, in the sense of that. And of course, that's when you deal with it. Child specialists, people who specialize in children and their life and their development and their growth, they will tell us that by the time a child is three or four years old, that child has now developed his patterns and personality probably for the rest of his life. By three and four years of age, waiting till they're seven and eight to deal with the issues is way too late. And in them early years, when there's nobody giving him the baseline, then he's left to his own baseline, which he doesn't understand. So he allows these things into the world. The parents are oblivious to it. And before they can ever see it, when it raises its ugly head, it's way too late. And of course, the two key words, and I gave you a bunch of key words in our study, the two key words here that you want to remember are proactive and reactive. As parents, Christian parents, dealing with anything in your life, but certainly with your kid, the key word is proactive. You want to be ahead of it. You want to get out in front of the problem. Don't get caught chasing them to catch up. It'll be, always be too late because negativity will always win. And the more Listen to me. The more negativity you allow in your child's life and the longer you allow it in, the harder the catch up and fix it's going to be. And that is also true of our lives, by the way, but we're talking about children here today. I've seen people who were grown Christians who got the wrong influence, got around the wrong people, and uh, they were good people. There was one time they loved the Bible, they loved everything about it, and now they're so far away from God that it's unbelievable. You know why? Because they allowed the things to get ahead of them, and uh, they allowed the negative influences to do what negative influences will always do. They will always win. You know, the Bible gives you and me as an apparent uh, the ability to see what's coming long before it gets here. We talked about that concept a couple of weeks ago when I called it the high tower concept. You being in a building, a tower of the Word of God on biblical principles that allows you and elevates you above everything, that you see life in a different dimension. And you can see through the principles of the Word of God what's coming your way long before it gets there. That's the way it should be with your children. Parents should be proactive, not reactive. Proactive as you're out in front of it. Proactive as you see it coming before it ever gets here. Reactive is, you just found out about it, now it's been going on for five or six, seven years, and you're trying to run to catch up to fix it. You don't want to catch yourself in that kind of scenario, and I will help you any way that I can, of course, with that and everything that we do. Now, I showed you also last week as parents that we are the first line of defense, and this is so important to understand. Uh, We are, and I used the example of basic training last week in the military, but you are fundamentally the drill instructors for your children. You train them through a disciplined system, a system of structure, a system of discipline, the basic issues of life through the Word of God. That's what you do where a drill instructor will teach you the basic issues of life in the military, you will structure them and discipline them and teach them the basic understanding of life as a Christian. You know what? We're God's border guards. We're God's customs agent. One of the things that discipleship one does, and I never really talk about this, uh, but it's one of the basics for it. We'll have a lot of people come into church <coughs> And you don't always all know where, they, where they've been and what they believe and where they're at. We've had a lot of people come in that thought they were saved, but you know as well as I do, they really weren't saved. We have people come in that are messed up on baptism. <clears throat> we have people come in that messed up on spiritual gifts or something like that, you know. And, <clears throat> and if you just allow them to come into your church, which certainly they're allowed to come, <clears throat> but if they just walk into the Mass and uh, they become part of the group, Many times they'll bring those things in and uh, they're not saved or they're confused on an issue and it will cause them a problem. One of the things discipleship does is it allows you through those basic 10 lessons to open up the baggage that they're bringing in. Look inside the luggage. Allow them to keep one thing that needs to be kept, but get rid of this that doesn't need to be kept. We've had many, many people, and I tell you all the time, there are people who start to be discipled who, in my mind... I don't think they're really saved. I really don't. I don't think they've ever really been saved, but I'm not going to go up and say, hey, I I, I don't think you're really saved. I'd rather have God tell them that. And what I have learned over the years that when you get into the Word of God in discipleship one, what's the first lesson? Salvation. What really happened the day you got saved? Almost in every case, God will reveal to that person that they're not. I'm going to tell you something. You're all In dealing with people, you're always a lot better off when God shows them what's wrong with them than you trying to show them what's wrong with them. And, uh, and when the Holy Spirit of God, it's a natural process. And you can just open up their baggage as they come through. You allow them, you can keep that. Oh, that's good. Yeah, you got that. Nah, this is not right. You got to learn this differently. You bring them through. That's what you do with your children. That first line of defense looks inside the baggage, the things that they're putting into their life. Allowing them to keep some good things, but making them get rid of some bad things. And that's the key. In your Christian life as a mom and a dad with your children, you always want to know where they're at. You always want to know what influences are moving into their life. It's your responsibility to cut out the bad ones. And you do that through a first line of defense. And we'll talk about that more as we, as we, as we, as we move through this. But it's, you know, it's, it's just the way that it is. Uh, then I gave you a, a plan, a, a place to start last week, and I'm happy to say that as of today, 19 families uh, have began that plan. 19 families have, have began to follow what I gave you last week on really understanding how to put the whole thing together, and it's, it's going to make an incredible difference in your life if you stay with it. Uh, you have just begun the process to lay a foundation in the life of, of your children uh, to get it right where God wants it to be. And again, the key word is consistency. This is why I only asked you to do it one day a week. You would think that that would not be much. I won't tell you something. With some people, their self-discipline is so bad that being consistent with one day a week is going to be a challenge for them. Probably the number one child killer, now listen to me, The number one child killer in a family today will be inconsistency. The number two child killer will be procrastination. Not doing what you need to do when you need to do it by putting it off. And uh, no consistency in training them at uh, two or three uh, years of age and bringing that up is worse than um, than not doing anything, actually. Because it it teaches them uh, inconsistency. And uh, inconsistency is, is comes back to no self-discipline. That's where it starts. And then I told you that in this series of lessons that there's something for everybody. I like you to take what I give you and fix yourself first. Fix what's wrong with you first. But then the Bible says, Romans chapter 14, verse 7, book Romans again, that no man liveth to himself and no man dieth to himself. There's somebody always watching your life. At work, the people, the circle of friends that you hang around, but especially at work, people see you. When they find out very quickly that you're a Christian and then they see the inconsistencies that you have in your life, it does terrible damage to the cause of Christ. But how many of you have lived that life before them that is honoring to the Lord and you have become like John the Baptist to the lost nation of Israel, the voice that cries in the wilderness. And they're looking for help. They're struggling with things. You now, if you don't even have any kids, if you're single, someday you will, so learn it. If you just got married, you'll probably have some on the way any minute. So you need, to, you need to understand that. But the bottom line is this. You can use it wherever you're at. God wants to be able to put you into scenarios where people need help and are hurting, that you become the right person in the right place at the right time. And I'm telling you, learn the material. Learn it for here. There'll be times when you'll have a couple come in that are starting and struggling, and we'll have to be way past this, and I can't take eight or nine weeks and teach it again. No, I don't need to, because I have you ready to go. And I'll just put them with you. Somebody's always watching our lives you want to let God use you, you know couples in our church with good, solid families I think it 's a great blessing and a great testimony to the ministry and of our church of how many of you have the ability to take other couples and really help them with your marriage with your life with your with your family. you know I mean uh, you look at uh, in this church the parents with kids that are ministering together side by side. We'll go down to Restart today, and they'll be out there wrapping hot dogs with their moms and their dads. They'll be in sorting clothes. They'll be out with Will and his team down there, going and doing what, all the things that need to be done. It doesn't get much better than that. You look at those families, and you, you talk to them. You learn from them. I'm always, I'm always 24-7 available to you. Uh, there's several parents in this church that right now that we met together. We had problems with your children and we sat down with a whole family <clears throat> and I uh, infused myself into your family and I put the money on the, on the table with them and they're doing pretty good. And I check on them. I'll see them going up the stairs and I'll say, hey, you doing okay? I'll find out if you're not. <laughs> I'm here to help you. I don't want any parents to go through the agony That I've seen so many parents go through when they lose their children, and and the real tragedy is there's no reason to. There's no reason to. Many times the kids will be unteachable. I've found this to be true. The kids are unteachable because the parents have been unteachable, and so the kids just pick up that trait from from mom and dad. Now, with that in mind, let's get started today and. Uh, let's go back to our original verse, Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, and we'll, we'll start there. And uh, The verse says, as we well know, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is not old, uh, he will de- he will not depart from it. Caleb, would you stand up and ask God's blessing on the service this morning? Father, just uh, thank you for the Lord Jesus, and uh, thank you for, that for <coughs> us, thank you for uh, this church. <coughs> especially in this series right now of, of training up children, Lord. Just help us, um, wherever we're at in our, in our walk with you, Lord, to just take the things and apply it to our own lives. Um, whether we have kids or not, just help us to use that. Um, and, and as he's saying, use it for the ministry. Use it for your honor and glory, Lord. Um, pray all this in your, your son's name. Amen. Amen. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from this. Now, today, as I said, I want to build on last week's message. I want you to leave here today being tied into last week, thinking one and understanding one great principle and concept, and that is the absolute invaluable concept of a first line of defense and building a baseline of truth in your family. This is going to hitchhike right on last week, and I want you to see and understand how absolutely vital it is. There'll be a lot of things I say you can take with a grain of salt. A lot of things I'll say to be funny just to break up the the tension sometimes, Uh, but I'm telling you, there's some things that I say that I want you to zero in on and dial in on, and I want you to understand the absolute invaluable importance of that baseline in your family's life. You're going to see it today, and I want you to listen to me. I love you, but hear me out. When you lose your child, God forbid that you ever do, but I want you to understand this concept. If you ever lose your child, say they get 16, 17, 18, 19, and you've lost them. They're gone. They want nothing to do with the family. They want nothing to do with you. If they can, they're out of the family, and they're gone. If you lose your child at 16, 17, 18, and 19, here's the reality of that. This is what you've got to see. In reality, you didn't lose them at 16, 17, 18, and 19. In reality, you lost them at 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6. You've got to understand that. I cannot stress this point enough. You know, the Super Bowl's coming up, and we'll have a Super Bowl party. And who knows, maybe we'll baptize that night if we have anybody. But uh, I'm sure the Chiefs won't be in it, but that's beside the point. It doesn't take, we don't have to have much reason to have a party around here, you know. But I'm telling you, the Super Bowl's coming up in February, I think it is. And, uh, you know, we're all going to sit down, and we're all going to watch it, and we're all going to enjoy it. Some of you won't, won't care who wins. I won't. Some of you will have your team, you know. Uh, Woody will be brokenhearted because Denver's nothing this year, and he'll all be upset about that. And, uh, you know, that's one of the good things about not caring about sports. You don't have to get bummed out if your team doesn't win. But, uh, but I want to tell you something. Whoever wins the Super Bowl, whoever wins the Super Bowl, listen to me, whoever wins the Super Bowl did not win it in February. They won it in July and August in training camp. That's where they worked the hardest on the fundamentals. That's where they did everything they needed to do, spent the extra time, did the extra work, spent the extra hours, spent the extra routines to get to the place that in February that they could win the Super Bowl. And it's the same way with our children. You will win or lose the battle for them early in their life, not later in life. And the baseline, the first line of defense of truth will be, the, will be the, the preparation for the day that's coming in each of your child's life. And I want to talk to you today about the greatest single threat as a parent with you and your children that is coming your way and in many cases has already come. And I want to talk to you about the evil day today. I want to talk to you about the evil day that is coming in your child's life, just like it came in your life and my life, and unfortunately, some of your children have already blown through that barrier of the evil day. You know, Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived, and he said in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, a favorite verse of mine, he says, Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days. Come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. While the sun, or the light, or the moon, or the stars be not darkened, nor the clouds return after the rain. That that is one of the most profound verses uh, anywhere in the Bible for your children. And uh, I've always thought it was interesting that it starts out by saying, remember now thy Creator. Because in the public school system and in the world that we live in, probably the number one challenge that your child is going to face is simply the fact, was God the creator? Because they're told from beginning to end that it's evolution through a process. And the child today will get, if he doesn't have that first line of defense, will go off to school and get influences in his life, and he will lose the aspect that God was a creator. And he'll lose everything that goes along with it. A time, there's a time in your child's life when he says to the world, "I don't have any pleasure in this. The world and all of that stuff is yucky." You ask a kid that is that is six or seven or eight years old, "What do you think of kissing girls?" (laughs) Ask him when he's fourteen or fifteen. Things change. He didn't suddenly grow lips, (laughs) nor did she things change but there's a time in your child's life and it has to be where you capitalize it has to be where you build the first line of defense and build that baseline of truth because there will be a time a short window of time when that child will look at mom and dad and look at the world look at mom and dad and look at the world and want to stay close to mom and dad and forget the world But there's a time coming when he'll look at mom and dad in the world, mom and dad in the world, and he'll leave mom and dad and he'll take the world. And the baseline, the truth, is only going to be the thing that keeps you. Before the evil day comes, while they're still tender, while they're still pliable, while they're still workable, while they're still teachable, where you don't have to argue with them about truth about the Word of God. Coming to the point in your life that you understand that you, as mom and dad, are the absolute, fundamental, greatest single influence in your child's life. And only you can give over that influence to somebody else or something else. Verse 2 says, While the sun, the light, the moon, the stars be not darkened, all of those things are what God created. And what he's saying here is the fact that there's going to come a time when your child who understands and loves the light of God, that light will give way to the darkness. And God no no longer will be to him what he once was. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verses 10 through 18, we, we all know it as the great chapter on the whole armor of God. And uh, we, uh, we use it and, and preach. He says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness and in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may ab- be able to withstand in the evil day. There it is again. And having done all to stand. Now I know that when we teach that, and you hear it taught all the time, it's usually taught to adults, young Christians, Christians, and I get that, and that's nothing wrong with it. But I want you to see the ultimate context in verse one of chapter six. It says, "Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honour thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth." So fundamentally, this armor, this armor, begins to be the first line of defense for your children. And the promise there that he talks about, which is the first command with promise, it'll be found in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 16, and Deuteronomy 21, verses 18 through 21. And that'll be the promise that if you don't do what's right, as a child, God will kill you. (laughs) Good promise. The armor of God here is given to help you stand in the evil day. And uh, the Bible says spiritual wickedness in high places. It says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. You're going to find in Ephesians chapter 6 what the real battle is with your child. The real battle with your child is not a physical battle. The real battle with your child is going to be a battle for their mind. To keep their mind close to God and not get it saturated with the things of the world. Saturated with the Word of God. You do that one way. That is the first line of defense, which we know to be the baseline. The baseline. The baseline. And what a parent needs to do, as I've already talked about it a little bit this week, talked about it a couple of weeks ago, you need to get your own high tower, your own high place. If the devil's going to operate in a high place, get a higher place than his high place. That's the principles of the Word of God that'll take you above everything that's up there. Verse, thir- verse 13 says, "...having done all to stand." And that's the question today for every parent. Now, I know that whenever you preach something like this, you... you there's a lot of good parents in our church who have done a great job with your kids You, you really are and I commend you for it and you will be the first ones after I say what I'm about to say to come up to me and say well what am I doing wrong well you're not doing anything wrong but I'm telling you it seems to be in preaching the word of God the ones that don't need to get it always get it and the ones that need to get it never get it I'm not sure why that is but when I figure it out you'll be the first to know I'm working on it been at it for 45 years now Having done all to stand. Teaching your child to stand up to the evil day. That right there is what every parent's worst nightmare should be. That your child is going to get bulldozed over by the evil day. And brother, do they ever. Now I think it's probably time right now, before we move any farther in this, let me define the evil day for you. Because I think you need to know what we're talking about here, so you know better what you're up against. There will come a time in your child's life that they're no longer under the blood. When they're up under that age of accountability and they're an innocent, Bible says in Romans chapter 5, it says that the law is in effect now, uh, slays them, or Romans chapter 7, slays them now and sin is imputed unto them. And, uh, you know, the age of accountability has now come. And I want to be very honest with you, and I want you to understand the seriousness and the gravity of what I'm trying to say today. In all of your child's life, in all of your child's life, the most crucial time in that child's life will be that time when they approach that age of accountability, without a doubt. Not only is it the most crucial time in your life, let me tell you this, it is the most scary time in your life. It is a time when your child literally hangs on the brink between going to heaven and going to hell, and you realize that you hold the responsibility for that. And I get it. I have parents all the time, all my 40-some years in the ministry, has worried about this, fretted over this, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't be concerned about it, but what I am saying is this. It's like anything else in the Bible. You do it by the book, it takes care of itself problem is parents don't do it by the book. And I'm telling you something. I've seen parents, I've seen parents at this stage of their child's life make some of the most absolutely disastrous decisions that you have ever seen in your life. The age of accountability have come, and this is where most parents absolutely fall apart with it. And it's because of a couple of things. One, they've not done what they have needed to do, so now this day has hit them. And now they're almost like, oh my God, what am I going to do? Here it is, we've got to do something. Oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, oh, what are we going to do? Yeah, I'm telling you, what you're trying to win the Super Bowl in February when you should have prepared for it back in July. And I want to speak frankly to you today, and I want to speak openly and honest. Every time I speak like this, parents get mad at me. Uh, you know, uh, they get upset with what I say. And, and that's okay. I'd rather have you upset with me for saying it and God upset with me with the judgment seat of Christ for not saying it. So many parents will drive their kids to an eternal hellfire and damnation. They'll actually put them in the car and take them there. And I'm telling you, to get saved, really saved. There are some things that a person has to understand. Parents look at a kid wanting to get saved, and because he goes to Sunday school, or he heard a sermon, that now he comes home and says, I want to get saved, they're saying, praise the Lord, all right, we're here, let's get it done so we can get that past in life. That is the biggest disastrous mistake you could ever make, to be saved, whether you're 90 years old. 40 years old or 10 years old. There's some things that a person has to understand. There's some things they have to understand about God. There's some things they have to understand about salvation. There's some things they have to understand about themselves. More than just, I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. But when a parent hears that, he they see the surface. They don't see down in the depth of really what does he understand? I've seen kids parents I even hesitate to say this. I, I've seen parents win their kids to Christ when they were four years old, five years old, and six years old. Let me say this as kindly as I can. You were out of your mind. Absolutely impossible. Let me tell you something. Here comes a flash for you. Okay? If you don't go home with anything else, go home with this. Salvation, listen to me, salvation can only come in your child's life after he has passed through the age of accountability, not before. How do you get a child saved from something that he's unaccountable for that doesn't even understand it in his life yet? But parents want to push that. They they want past that that terrible moment of salvation for their child. And they they, they kid themselves into thinking that the first time the child says, I want to be saved, let's do it. Praise the Lord. No four-year-old or five-year-old on this planet is ever in the age of accountability. I had a lady one time, I'll give her some slack here, she was a witch. She told me that she won her, I'm trying to think what it was. It wasn't her son, it would have been her, if it was her wife's son, that would make her her nephew. She won him to Christ when he was, she had a kid that was in her family. She, she. She told me she wanted him to, listen, she told me she wanted him to Christ when he was two years old. <laughs> Baptized at three, went to seminary at four. <laughs> he's a missionary to the Munchkin someplace. I have no idea where he's at. And, and I find myself in situations like that. And I'll be, hey, I'll be honest with you. I'm just going to tell you the truth. I, I don't say a word. When you tell me something and I don't say anything, <laughs> that's a little clue for you. <laughs> People to hey, I'm going to do this. <laughs> Hello, are you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. I never say a word. Uh, it's, it, you know, in, in many cases, it's not my job to say anything because, you know, now, I know everybody says, and boy, have I heard this all my life. Bob, if you ever see anything wrong in my life, tell me. And that works right up till I tell you. <laughs> but I got to say this: that within that statement, there are people in my world <clears throat> that I feel comfortable enough that they, because of what they have said, and I, in my relationship with them, if I saw something out of whack, I could go up and say something. I hope they would do the same to me. But that's not doesn't happen very often. But I'm going to say this again. Salvation has to come after the age of accountability has entered into your child's, not before. And that can be a very fine line to walk. You can't get them saved from something before they understand what they're getting saved from. Do you understand that? But in parents' hurry to get them saved... You forced an issue, salvation, on them long before they were ever ready. You see, look at Romans chapter 7. We don't have time to get into this one, but Romans chapter 7 tells you exactly what has to be in a child's life or anybody's life to truly be saved. And a four-year-old can't do it. A five-year-old can't do it. A six-year-old can't do it. The only one who can do it is somebody who is past the age of accountability and now sees themselves as a sinner. Seeing yourself as a sinner because your Sunday school teacher told you were one, seeing yourself as a sinner because you heard your mom and dad talk about it, doesn't mean you understand it for your own self. It takes those early years up through the age of accountability and then moving on, walking your child step by step Through that time, making sure by building the first line of defense that they have everything that they need. And as you build the first line of defense and lay a basic baseline of truth, as they grow and they mature and they hit that day, you have again the two things that give you from the baseline and the first line of defense. You have something to fall back on because you build it. And now you have something going forward to build on know exactly where they're at at the right time. It's scary. It really is. But you have to follow the principles of the Word of God. That's why God gave them to you. And in that, it's no different than anything else. Most parents don't. They don't just, you know, they they just get saved in their minds. They never ever think of what it really takes to be saved. They never stop and think, where's my child really at? Where are they at in their mind? Where are they at in their comprehension? Where are they at in what they really can understand? I don't mean that they can spit it back to me and they can explain it to me. I mean, do they grasp the concept to their very soul? Giving the right answers doesn't make sh- that they understand it. They come to Sunday school all the time. They're around it all the time here they hear the terminology, we see it with adults. I could go to any church in this city, and and there's 500 adults, and I could say to every one of them, are you saved? 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 And they'd say, yes, I am. And I'd throw them an open Bible, and I'd say, show me the process of exactly what happened the day you got saved. Not one of them could explain it. Because you understand, just because you know the terminology, doesn't mean you understand the concept. No, I'm not saying they're not saved. That evil day will be when the child has to face the world, the flesh, and the devil without you being there with them. It's the day that he or she now becomes personally accountable. It's a day that he or she now understands and you're right there ready to go. You've built everything in their life up to this point that they're going to fall back on you. Not their gym teacher, not their math teacher, not some football coach, not some baseball. They're going to fall back on you because you've trained them to do that. Now, he or she will have to, uh, to, to stand on the foundation that you built them on. Last week, we talked about Matthew chapter 7, a man building a house. One man built it on a rock, Bible doctrine. The other man built it on sand and how unstable that was. And when you build your child on the bedrock of the foundation of the Word of God, then they have something to stand on. When you build it on the sand, they don't have anything. And the sand will change. It's always moving. Because when that kid hits the age of accountability, as Solomon said uh, before, the, when the evil days come, and he says, I have no pleasure in them, when you build them on that foundation, and a day comes, as Matthew chapter 7 here comes the rain, here comes the winds, here comes the flood, here comes the world. <coughs> now they go to school. Now they're under other people's teaching. Some will be good, some will be bad. Now they make friends. Now other influences begin to work their way into their little lives. Some good, some bad. Some very bad. Now their social life begins. Now they have an introduction to social media. Now they all text. Now they have emails. Now they have my face, your space. All of those different things. And now they have those secret apps that when the parent try to watch their kid's activity on it, they can go someplace and find out one that you can't trace. All those things are presented to them on the evil day. It's like they walk in the evil day and the devil says, Here it is, a smorgasbord of all kinds of things to get out from under the influence of your parents. And sooner or later, they will be exposed to these. And I want to tell you something. You're not going to stop it. It's a process of life. Maddie, do you understand what I'm saying? I know you do. And the first guy that wants to date you after he talks to your dad, you send him to your grandpa. (laughs) Kenzie? Where's my little gangster, Macy, at? He <laughs> out robbing a bank someplace? <laughs> now, that probably means that neither one of you will ever get invited out on a date. <laughs> you know that. I just fixed your whole relationship. They're never going to have to have a boy in their life. I think that's good. One, they've got to go through Danny. That'll be rough enough. Then they've got to get a double tap. They've got to come through me. And after I run them up the road naked three or four times, and and then we'll see what they're made of. (coughs) 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 Hoorah. You're not going to stop it, folks. You're not going to stop it. Very frankly, by the time uh, in their life uh, that most parents have already lost control, they just don't know it yet and you're completely unprepared for it and don't know uh, how to respond to it, so you react to it. And I've seen parents reacting all the time. I've seen them, you know, a kid gets in trouble, you ground them. You take away their phone. You punish them somehow. Put them in a timeout. Spank them. You know, take away their personal property. Whatever. And all that can be good. I'm not saying that you can't, but I'm saying in most cases, they never get down to the base thing of what they really need to do. Grounding someone will not affect the old sin nature. You do know that. You do know that. You ought to know it. You've been grounded so many times it's unbelievable. Taking away their cell phone, taking away their this or their that will not fix their old sin nature. Do you know? Under, I'm going to do what you did when that cop pulled you over. Remember when you were sleeping alongside the road and he pulled over there and he he, he wasn't listening to you and you wound under and you said, "Do you not hear me?" Ooh. Remember that, huh? Okay. Listen to me. Taking away their cell phone, taking away their iPad, taking away their and whatever they got will not fix their old sin nature. Amen. Amen. Go to your room. Well, oh, man, that's like going to a federal penitentiary, and they send you to Fed Club over you know, there in a, a minimum security. They got tennis court, pool thing. They got they got more fun stuff in their room. Then you got in your house. You want to really do something? Chain them to the bumper in the garage. Get one of those big dog cages. Lock them up in there for an hour or two. Just kidding you. My point is this I'm trying to make my point. What most parents do to their kids, don't teach them anything. So you took away your phone. He's up there at the window with a flashlight doing Morse code than a neighbor across the street. The thing that you need to change and take away from him is in his mind. And you don't do that by taking physical optics away. You do that by letting this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You got to wash it out. Now, I'm not saying you don't use those things. I'm not saying that those things aren't tools. I'm not saying that. But if that's all you ever do. Now, let me talk to you a minute. Please listen to me. You're not going to stop this day from coming. I've seen parents make some terrible mistakes. Uh, in a a couple of weeks, I'm going to teach you the seven or eight types of parenting that I've cataloged over the years. One of them is the protective parent mode. And I know all parents should be protective of their kids. I'm not saying that. Please, just listen to me. Maybe I ought to say overprotective parenting. Parenting and protecting your kids needs to be at a balance. Listen, I don't take the wrong one I'm about to say. Overprotective parents want to isolate any sin out of their child's life. You can't do that. It's impossible, first of all, and second of all, you shouldn't do that. When I was a kid growing up, I ate dirt. <laughs> and if you knew this morning, you all ate dirt too when you were growing up. Maybe in a generation today you don't eat dirt because you got so many other things to do, but we ate, I ate dirt. <laughs> I'm not sure why I ate dirt, but we ate dirt. My mother had a heart attack because of all the nasty things that's in dirt. Uh, later on, doctors came out, child doctors, and said a little dirt for your child wasn't going to hurt it because it helped the immune system build up stuff because of what you got into it. Now, I wouldn't go home in the afternoon and feed your lunch uh, uh, being a dirt But I'm saying, isolating your child from the world will never work. It'll never work. First of all, you have to have a balance. You you, you have to have a balance. Parents who force their kids into a set of rules are completely out of balance. Short term, it looks really good. I get it. But long term, it's a disaster. And what happens is, is you, you, you put them in a system where they're completely isolated from anything out there. Or in your mind you think they do. You forget they have an old sin nature. You can lock your kid in a, in a concrete bunker. You can lock your kid in a 55-gallon drum. Never let them see anything. Try to keep the world from them. And yet you've forgotten that they've got an old sin nature, and the greatest can opener in the world is their mind. It's not about stopping their body from where it's going, it's stopping their thinking process and their mind that allows your body in time to go there. First line of defense. And it's a thing where, you know, you you just got to understand how how, how this thing works. And it's a thing where most parents just never, never get it. And they make a tragic mistake in dealing with their kids. A lack of understanding the fundamental Bible principles in their own lives first and then in the lives of their children. You cannot isolate your kids from the evil day that's coming. You can't. It, It would be wonderful if you could. But sooner or later, gonna when they get 16, 17, or 18, they're going to build other relationships. Unless you're going to lock them in the cellar for the rest of their lives, they're going to go to work. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. And the moment they walk out your door, no matter what a great job you've done, the moment they walk out the door, that evil day is going to be right there waiting for them. And they're going to have the slingshot effect. You kept them completely out of anything there. Oh, you've done a great job. And the moment he gets exposed to all those things, because he's never been trained about them, he's going to see him for the first time. He's going to be gone. Because isolation, isolation won't do it. You'll protect them. You'll you'll hide them. You'll uh, isolate them. You know. You'll you'll have a strict lifestyle for them with a set of rules. And when that day comes, they will have no defense to it and they'll fall and collapse completely. You've got to train them to stand. And to train them to stand, you've got to have some alternatives that they can see. It's not a matter that the world is always, the world is a bad thing and it is, but it's how you use the world. I grew up in the Christian school movement, you know, and everybody thought the Christian school, or the public schools were terrible. And I'm not arguing with you. The public schools are terrible. But I got a headline for you The world's terrible. The world's terrible. Why not, and this is just me, why not build the baseline, build the truth? Build work with them. When they go to school, you've already got everything going for them. Why don't you take and train them to be a missionary to their school like many of you have done? Instead of just locking them away someplace that you think they're safe from the world and the devil and the flesh, there isn't any place on this planet that you are safe from the world, the flesh, and the devil outside this book. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And when you do that, when the devil comes to tempt you, like it did Christ in Matthew chapter 4, it is written. End of story. But that's a lot of work. That's a lot of work. The evil day will be the time in their young life when they, without you, your influence, your rules, they have to make and take their stand. They will be faced with the world, they'll be faced with their own flesh, and they'll be faced with the devil. And only the foundation on a rock, not sand, a rock, a prepared heart based on a house built on a rock that mom and dad from the very get-go have begun to lay a baseline of truth and a foundation on a rock, that they'll be able to stand the baseline, the first line of defense that you continue to build because uh, you trained them the right way. You have trained them from uh, the, the very first encounter of the old sin nature. You've trained them. Uh, for, as a little child, when they did this and they did that, you had a biblical process of training them that now at 16, 17, 14, 12, 13, whenever they're exposed to this, they're thinking the right way. They're doing the right things. They're walking the right way. And they've got a value system that helps them make the right choices the right way. I, 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 I just get livid. I get, I'm so sick of it. I've heard it all my Christian life. I am so sick of parents who blame the sin in their kid's life on somebody else. I am so done with that. Believe me, if you feel that way, I'm the wrong guy to talk to. I can give you a list of guys that will probably be sympathetic. I will not be. I am so sick of hearing that. I have heard it all my life. Moms and dads whose kids aren't worth the powder to blow them to hell. Moms and dads who, they don't go to church, they don't do anything out in the world, and they always want to sit there and tell me, my kid is this way because so-and-so did this in their life. And I'll tell you what, I, I... I, I I just there's not much that frazzles me, but that frazzles me. And I'm not frazzled at this moment, but I'm I'm working on it. I'm so sick of hearing that. Your kids will be at 18, 19, 20, what you train them to be at 3, 4, 5, and 6. Do you understand that? You either build a foundation on a rock that is strong, or you build a foundation on the sand and they're blown all over the place. It's just that simple. Now, when training up your child the right way and understanding what you're really up against, again, you can never isolate your child from the world. Don't even think about it. But by doing the baseline and training them early, you may never isolate them from the world. Here it comes, but you can insulate them from the world. You teach them not to react. You teach them to respond. When you react, somebody says, hey, we're having a party over here after the game tonight. Oh, man, that's great. That's reacting. Responding is, hey, we're having a party over here tonight. You want to come? No, I don't think I better. Responding is processing. You see, reacting is an action of the flesh. Oh, it sounds good. I want to do it. Responding is filtering the decision through the biblical principles and then coming to the right conclusion. you got to train that in the child. That just doesn't happen because they grow up. Let me, let me show you what I mean. Just, you get this. Every appliance in your house, go to your, think of your house. By the way, you have a wonderful house. If we lose our house, we want to move in with you. That's okay. Yeah, think about your own house. Everybody's got a house. You, you don't think about what I'm telling you. You realize that everything in your house that you have to make your life easy, it has the potential to kill you. You ladies get up this morning and and blow dry your hair. Some of you did. You got that thing out there? You know that blow dryer has potential to, to kill you on the spot. We all like our coffee. I got a it coffee thing. I love it. One cup at a time. Best coffee world. You know that coffee might have the ability to kill you? I'll, I'll tell you something else. You have a, you know, I don't care what it is. I don't care. Uh, some of you, you know, you've got, you got, you got a phone charger. You want to charge your phone. You plug it in. It has the ability to kill you right on the spot. Do you understand that? You have a TV, and I don't know about your TV, but my TV cuts out all the time. You're going to get back there and jiggle. That television, as fun as it is, and all the things we like to do. has the ability to kill you right on the spot. Your radio, your vacuum cleaner, this is a good reason never to vacuum your home again, lady, has the ability to kill you. You know why? Because all of those things that we have in our life that makes life easier, they all run by electricity and you grab a hot wire of electricity and you're not grounded the way you should be, you're a dead man. Now well, that power cord has electricity running through it and that will kill you. It'll electrocute you. In fact, your house is a death trap in every room if you stop and really think about it. Remember them little spider eyes I told you about a couple of weeks ago with my headlamp? Well, your house, walk in every room. Everything you touch has the potential of killing you. But you know why it's safe? Because they take that hot wire and they insulate it in rubber. That power cord is wrapped up and insulated in rubber to keep you safe. So you can hold the cord, take the cord, and even though within that power cord is enough electricity to nail you if you're not grounded right, you can pick it up and hold it everything you want and plug it in and use every utility in your house without it affecting you. You know why? It's insulated. And in the Christian life, there's many things that seem okay that'll wind up killing you. So just like all, your, all of your things in your house, you take your children, you have, a, you have an evil day coming, you have to insulate them against what's coming, just like the company that built your product has insulated you from electricity that's running through that cord. You insulate them with your baseline of truth. You wrap him in a protective, encasement of principles you build him and wrap him and insulate him on a rock of solid foundation that no matter what happens the wind the rain the sh- whatever happens it can't get to him just like you can take your hair dryer and plug it in and you can even have wet hair do you know what would happen if you had a bare hot wire and your hands were still wet or better yet a blow dryer dries your hair meaning your hair is wet do you have any idea what would happen if you picked up that hot wire to plug it in with wet hair? You would need a permanent. <laughs> or no, it would be permanent. You'd be sticking out like that lady in Frankenstein, you know, Brother of Frankenstein had the hair sticking out there. It's insulated. You want to protect your kids from the world? Insulate them from it. We hear a lot about character. Character is what we do, what your child will do, what you and I do when nobody else sees To make the choices that are good or bad. You're not born with character. I want to make that very clear. You are born a character, but you're not born with character. Character traits are a learned behavior. Character is developed. Character is cultivated. Character is established in a person's life through proper training, proper things that you put into their life. Kid just isn't getting shaved and grow up and half of them turn out with character and half turn out with no character. That's not the way it works. Character is something that from the very early years of their life, they begin to develop. And then you pick it up and you make sure that that character gets developed. In fact, in parenting, you build character on different levels. And in a couple of weeks, I'm going to show you actually how to do that. You build character through the levels of character, uh, through the baseline of truth. Uh, You deal with each issue as it comes along. You work with a child to develop an understanding of why uh, this is not right. You isolate that child, not from the things of the world, because that's impossible, so you can't do that, so you insulate him from the things that are out there. When he sees those things, because he has the baseline of truth, he has the ability to respond instead of reacting. He filters all the things out and only allows in what he knows to be not just pleasing to mom and dad. We're way past that. Pleasing now to God. And I'm going to show you how to get your child to that point in a couple of weeks. Now throughout his young life, at every opportunity, you now, and here's another great word, you reinforce in his life. Raising up your children and training up your children is a correction and discipline and everything that you do, the tool that you want to use the most is reinforcement. Reinforce in their life why I'm not going to allow you to do this. Reinforce in their life why our family is what it is. Reinforce in their life, why I'm going to deal with you the way that I am based on my responsibility to God. Fact is, most parents don't have, can't say that because they don't do that. Along with that, he should see the character trait in the parent's life. In parenting, you lead and train by example. It's like building a church. We talk a lot about role models today. We get great athletes, and everybody says great athletes should be role models. Well, maybe so. Uh, usually, they're not. And we talk about, you know, every kid needs role models to grow up, a sports figure or a famous person or somebody this or somebody that. Let me tell you something. The greatest role model and the only role model your child should ever have is you as a dad and you as a mom. That's the only role model they need. They're parents. And I've never really understood that concept it was so hard to get. I mean, the whole Bible is built on patterns and, and models, everything in it. You want to understand the Bible, Bible, you've got to get the pattern, you've got to get the models. Why would it be any different for a family? Kids growing up need to see the role model of mom and dad, and mom and dad build on that role model. Now, I understand. I get it. I totally get it. In many of your lives, you didn't have that. I understand. But you know what God did? God brought you to a place where you could have that. Amen. So don't be, go, woe is me. You know, well, I never had that. Okay, you got it now. It wasn't a fact that you didn't have it. God made sure you did get it. Building Christian character through the Word of God. Developing it in the stages as the child grows. Getting him and her to the place that the evil day, when it finally comes, and you won't stop it from coming. But when it comes because you've done what you needed to do, it's like BBs off a stone wall. There's no penetration. As arrows are in the hands of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. You hit the target of life with your child by which way you aim them. And you'll either be on target or you'll be off target. It's just that simple. Years ago, I used to belong a long time ago to the Pioneer Gun Club. I know a lot of you guys remember that now. This was in the old days when down there on Brickyard Road, they had a 300-yard rifle range that you could shoot the higher-powered stuff, but then they put that golf range behind it and somebody mistook a golfer for a deer and that was the end of that. Every, day, every week before deer season, and I was pretty involved there for a while. Every, every year before deer season, the week before, they'd have a free sight-in date if you could come out and sight your deer rifle in. And I was assigned to all the new guys that came out that, and you didn't have to be a member of the club, but you took a guy at the gate, you went down and you helped him zero his rifle in because most guys that deer hunt for the first time didn't know that. Well, I got this guy and it was very obvious that he had just went to Walmart or someplace and bought this rifle. And it was a pretty neat rifle. It was a, it was a, I remember it was a Marlin lever action. It was a thirty-five Remington. Good, good, good Missouri deer rifle. A good flat shooting gun. Had a scope on it. So I had him lay all this stuff out there, and I said, now what we're going to do here is this. We're going to start it at 20, 25 yards. And what we're going to do is we're going to put a target out there, and I want you to really concentrate on on. On, on getting three shots as close together as a group as you can, and then we'll know where we need to go. And I said, let me look at your gun. Let me expect your gun, make sure everything's good. I looked at it, you know, I looked at it. He hadn't even cleaned the grease out of the barrel. I happened to have some gun cleaners. I said, I said, there's grease in this barrel. And he said, yeah, yeah. I said, I said why didn't you clean it out? He said, I thought that'd make the bullet come out faster. <laughs> no, that's, that's not what it does. But anyway, so I cleaned his rifle out, you know. We loaded him up, got him on there. I had a binoculars behind him, not that I needed him for 25 yards. And I said, all right, take your time, breathe, get the scope up in your, up in your cheek and get the cheek up there and get it settled there. Squeeze the trigger. Don't jerk it. Don't just, just think about the target. Hold a breath and squeeze it. First round, down there. It was four, uh, three inches to the right and four inches down. Bullseye's here. I said, take another shot. He, and fired another one. Hey, touched the first one. I said, we're doing good. I said, one more. She takes another. And it nice, tight little group, but it was three inches over and four inches down. I mean, here's the bullseye. He was shooting down here on a target like this. So I, I said, okay, just a second. And I went over here, and I was recording some things, and I looked around. He, he's, he's, he's putting his gun in the case. I said, where are you going? I said, we got a... Fa-. He said, oh, no, 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 no. That's good enough to get a deer. I said, can I explain something to you? I said, if you're at 25 yards, if you're three inches over and four inches down at 25 yards, at 50 yards, you're going to be eight inches down and six inches over. At 100 yards, you're going to be off the target completely. And at 300 yards, that bullet's going to come around and kill you. (laughs) He never understood it. He got and said, oh, I'm good. And off he went. Uh, My point is this, with your kid, if you're off at two inches at three, four, five, and six, you'll be a million miles off at 16, 17, and 18. You have to hit the bullseye every time. You have to make sure that you're shooting right down the line and your target is being dead on. You get off a little bit at the early stages of their life, they'll be off a lot by the time they get 18, 19, and 20. It's just the same principle. It's the same principle. What I'm going to do is this. I'm going to hold up right here. Next week, because this is so important, next week I'm going to take you and show you the greatest example in the Bible that will show you Everything that your child is going to face when that evil day comes. I'm gonna walk you through every single aspect of the greatest example anywhere in the Bible of what your kids are going to face. I want you to tie these two things together. I want you to, you families, you 19 families that are working. Now you have you should have done lesson one last week, you should be on lesson two this week. Tend your time with your families, do what you need to do and then get next three, and I will put all that together for you. And I want to show you exactly what they're up. I want you to know before it gets here what you're facing and what you're up against. And the greatest example is found in the Word of God. It leaves no stone Turned, And we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about it. I'll bring you through it next week. Somebody said earlier asked me if I was going to have a Christmas, going to take off a week and have a Christmas message next week. And I said, no. I said, I'm going to stay with child training. And they said, oh, why is that? And I said, because the greatest gift I could ever give this church is your children back to you. Amen. So we need to stay with it. I mean, there ain't no Santa Claus anyhow. Sorry, guys. Sorry, Zach. There ain't no Santa Claus anyhow. I know, I know, I know.